Bring it in, and football is back. And so are we here on the read option. Full crew together to break down week one, the official, unofficial start of football season. So much football since Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night. Every single night we had college football. We had big games, uh, some unbelievable finishes, stuff that only happens in college football. This twisted, weird, beautiful, fucked up, glorious and amazing sport that it is and uh i loved every second of it so boys how are we how is everybody we had our fantasy draft yesterday we're locked and loaded for nfl this week oh it was so nice saturday was the best it was great even from thursday obviously us as penn state fans me and scotty having your team play on a thursday was really weird to open the season it was yeah. kind of like we were the we were the treat. On the road. Usually that's usually it's not, a, um, we're not involved that big 10 just started uh, doing some Thursday games. So uh, it was really cool to see. And I, I like, I then led into Saturday. We had some great games. We saw great teams, great performances. Football's just great. It's just so great. fucking great to have. God damn it. I love it so much. That, that first feeling on Saturday when the, when the noon games ended and then I was like, Oh, no, there's more good games. It's like, oh, there's more games. And, and you know what's going to happen after those games end? There's going to be more games. And you know what happens after those games end? There's going to be more games. I love it. Yeah. Dude, by the time I got around to uh, watching football on Saturday, it was the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. Um, and after that, I was like, oh, Boise State-Oregon. Or Boise State-Oregon State. This should be fun. So I watched that. And then I waited up for the Hawaii. It was, it was like... It's perfect. Oh, it's the best. And you I can't blame you for this. You're you're an adult, you're married, you have a wife and 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 a life and things to do, but you you committed kind of the cardinal sin of you know football fans. Week 1, couldn't sit on the couch, couldn't get it all over you as my friend Mark Packer used to say. So I I got into a new sport. I uh, I went to a polo match. That was pretty fun. Yeah. US lost to England by two goals, but uh it was fun. I got really into it. I learned a lot. Oh, my God. We're going to have a separate branch off of this podcast. Yeah. It's going to be Scotty's Polo co- Corner. <laughs> yeah. Our, the, the Polo Minute of the week. The Polo Minute of oh. the week. Oh, no. I mean, I did I did feel really bad for you. I was like, why is that Scotty texting us during college football? I was like, normally we're good for like 12 at least texts from Scotty about different yeah. games that are going on. I was like, huh, I wonder if he's – Maybe he's just a little quiet. There. I was like, I don't know. Maybe it's because Penn State played on Thursday. He had nothing to get all riled up about. But no, I know I was tailgating a for a polo match. Yeah, tailgating and then watching a polo. Match. I feel like you have to drink <laughs> like to a wine spritzer or something when you're tailgating for yeah. a polo match. <laughs> uh, you could. Yeah, it was sponsored by Vuv, like the uh, the sparkling champagne. I I went beer all day, um, but mm-hmm. you know, like That's, what you like, you can have a mixed cocktail, throw up some tents. It's a it's a fun time. I think Scotty's losing touch from his his gritty football roots right now. A little too highfalutin over there. How about that? I'm diversifying my portfolio. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, the games are fantastic. We are going to go through all the games chronologically from Thursday up until Friday. uh, Or sorry, Thursday up until Monday night, technically. 
Uh, and then we're going to wrap up the pod today. We're going to talk some college football playoff expansion, which that news broke after uh, the pod came out on Friday. So a lot mm-hmm. of stuff to get into on this pod. So you know what? It's the start of a new season. I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys go. Penn State Thursday night, uh, which in my, I don't think even was the best game Thursday night. It was an amazing game, but that's just how good the backyard brawl was with Pitt and West Virginia. But your boys, they Please. snuck it. They snuck through. They even got a little glimpse of the future at the quarterback position with Drew Alar, who looked fantastic and probably should be starting for them. But that's neither here nor there. How are we feeling after that's week here. one? No, that's here. I want to start right there uh, because, listen, it was one of those games where we come out, um, look okay. Clifford goes off the field. I mean, I'll say this. The first half wasn't great, but it also, like, you could tell the defense was playing pretty well. Purdue is a pretty pass-happy offense. I think they threw the ball, like, 60 times in this game. But Mm. in general, right, you knew they were going to score. It was just, can we limit them? And we knew we were going to score. Well, let me break the game down in this this general way. In the final two minutes of the first half and of the the fourth quarter, we scored 21 points. That's what won us the game, was the two-minute offenses, Brandon Strange's ridiculous run. And on the defensive side, we held – a pretty good pass offense to 24 points and our offense gave up seven because they threw a pick six. So really when you, when you break it down, right. I think overall um, people were some people were upset with the defense. I actually think the amount that they threw it and, and the physicality we played was great. Um, now Manny Diaz and Scott, I'll throw it over to you. Manny Diaz, you know, is known for blitzing and man to man and press. And the more of that we saw in the second half, I feel like the better our defense did. I feel like personnel wise we're lined up for that, but um you know, I think we'll get to Clifford in a minute here, but what, what, what was your overall impression on, on Thursday? I, I loved the, the way that we play defense, especially with a new defensive coordinator. It's not easy to come in and just have expect guys, especially as, as many experienced guys are on this defense. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. had a fantastic game. I think he had nine uh, defended passes that went for incompletions. Um, he, he just played phenomenal. It was the guys at the top of the, at, of the list uh, on defense that I said in the preview pod, Joey Porter, Curtis Jacobs, Jair Brown, uh, J- Johnny Sutherland, they're all are going to have to have big years. And they had a really big game uh, this past week against Purdue. Joey Porter leading the way with eight tackles too. Um, but yeah, man, it's not easy to 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 have a new defensive coordinator come in with an entirely new system, new play calls, uh, and have it come together like that, especially down the stretch uh, at the end of the game because Purdue had a couple of chances late. Uh, where we where we got them off the field, um, and, and yeah, so kudos to Manny Diaz and uh, and the guys on defense uh, for that. I love the stable of running backs too. Um, it's it's going to be a committee, like I said this year. But one guy's going to uh, stand above. I, well, yeah, but I, it's it's the way Franklin's been operating, right? Uh, there's no well, one I, true I think guy. That's the thing. But but think about it. The last two. I mean, there hasn't been one true guy, and we keep getting guys leaving because. Uh, he says that no one separates themselves, but like, all right, Saquon, Miles Sanders, and then we just had committees. And I think as an offense, we do better when there's one guy. That's my take. And we saw, so we saw a a committee for sure. Uh, again, rotating drives, but in my in my opinion, Scott, I think that's where you were leading. Singleton, the freshman, the true freshman, five star recruit. The kid, he just looks different. He's falling forward, and he, he's patient, but he explodes through the hole. And the way he runs with his tenacity, I just want to see him. I, I think he's the guy. And, and 
I don't know what is going on where they're saying he doesn't, because statistically it might not even show that, but let me tell you what, you watch those drives and you watch what the offensive line gave them, which was not much by the way, you know, that's where it's at. Now we would be remiss if we didn't flip and talk about the other side and, and on the Iowa side, Iowa, on the Purdue side, you had, you know, an old Iowa player coming in and, and just, I couldn't believe the connection between those two, the quarterback and the wide receiver who I guess played what peewee football together or something like that. Hmm. It was wild. They, they were played. Uh, he played at Iowa last year. Who was it? Who was it? Scotty. Who was that wide receiver? Number 15. Yeah. yeah. And he absolutely just came out and dominated. I will say that, you know, it was, it was shocking. We didn't like double him at some point. Like it was to that point, like you might as well just double the guy. Cause it was the only offensive weapon, but the team got it done. Um, so yeah, we got to win, but I think that win's going to hide up the problem at quarterback, which is Sean Clifford. Yes. He, he had an amazing drive and he, the, the quote they kept saying at the end, which is a good quote. He's like, I'm one deep breath away from having a great drive, which is true. Like he's just, sometimes he just needs to relax. He's too inconsistent though. What we saw to Drew Alar, and I'm not saying a true freshman is going to be consistent, what I'm saying is that that's going to keep growing. We know the trajectory is only going to go up with him. Where Clifford, we kind of know where he's at. And to me, yes, Clifford led us down the field and had an amazing drive at the end, but I'm really debating, and this is hard for me to say, like, would we have just not even had to have a game-winning drive in the end of the fourth quarter if Drew Alar just stayed in the third and the fourth? And it's possible. We didn't do anything else. But, we didn't do anything you're else saying- on offense. You're saying you'd rather you know what you're getting out of Clifford. You'd rather have the mistakes from Drew Alar, the freshman, than know you're going to get them from Sean Clifford in his sixth year. Well, I think that's it, right? If you're saying your sixth year guy is going to be consistent and, and dominant, you know, do all those things, that's great. But he threw a pick six. Like it's not like he was yeah. mistake free, right? It's not like we're going from. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of a comp here. Just somewhat like an old Chad Pennington, high completion percentage, wouldn't turn the ball over to like you know, a Jameis Winston type, you know, I mean, he also, not that he, he did also throw for four touchdowns and you don't, you're right. You know, he had the, he had the fourth quarter drive at the end, but Jewel R's not leading down the field on fourth quarter drive. At least it's not likely, right. A guy who's starting in his first career game at the college level and you're going to have some mistakes. They're, they're college quarterbacks still. We, I think we kind of know where Clifford stands. Um, I mean, not, don't get me wrong. I know you guys can talk about Penn state all day as we stand right now. Five minutes, I think, yeah. is plenty of our Penn State corner. The only other thing is, <laughs> just to one point you made there, you said, oh, yeah, we had Saquon and the Miles Sanders, and now we're out of committee. You know, you like it better when you have one guy, but it's a lot easier when that one guy is Saquon Barkley or Miles Sanders. Well, right? I think his you point, know, and, too, <laughs> is that you Singleton is that. Like, Singleton we, has the most potential of anyone in the last four he might, years. He might, to be. but he might. But if he's not, which – throughout camp and everything else they've had this summer, he clearly has not shown himself to be Saquon or Miles Sanders, then that's probably why they're going in rotation. And it's a true freshman in his first game. He fumbles the ball one too many times. You'll, it's a long season. It's it's week one, and he could very well end up being that guy. Um, ultimately, it so was you're a really, saying we're getting ahead of ourselves, like usual. <laughs> maybe just what? a touch. Maybe, maybe <laughs> just a touch. Uh, I do want to touch on uh, the Penn backyard. Penn 35-31. Yeah, right. That was great. Good teams win. Go ahead. I was going to say good teams win. Great teams cover. We got the cover. We're a great team. That's all I know. By by half half a point, they covered. No question. (laughs) Um, 
and you know, Purdue's not a slouch either. I think Purdue's going to end up being one of the better teams in the Big Ten West. And I think we saw a lot of with that offense. It's Purdue's another one of those cyclical schools. It's been a few years since the Jeff Brom explosion year in 2019. Um, and you know, we'll we'll see where they end up going. Uh, want to touch on the backyard brawl? West Virginia and Pitt was an outstanding game, uh, back and forth all the way. The pick six that went off of the wide receiver's hands for West Virginia. Dude. I mean, JT Jan- Daniels could not have placed that ball in a better spot. And how amazing would it have been if you went back two years through whenever they were both freshmen at USC to JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis. And you said, Hey, in three years from now, you guys are going to be starting against each other on a Thursday night for West Virginia and Pitt. And they were both West coast USC boys. Uh, just absolutely crazy how college football has developed. I'll say this too. West Virginia's uniforms were sick. Uh, I don't love giving West Virginia compliments all the time, but they looked nice in those uniforms. Great. Just a fantastic mayhem filled game. It felt like the most quintessential college football game to kick off the year as you could have. Right. And the Penn state Purdue game, the ending of that was fantastic too. That was a great game, but the crowd was absolutely electric. You know, that school, that's a rivalry that existed for a long, long yeah. time in the Big East. The Big and, East, yeah. And, and now we're at a point where it's like, oh, yeah, bringing that back after 11 years of not having that rivalry was spectacular. Um, seeing the two of those programs going head to head. Neil Brown, I've loved Neil Brown for a long time as a head coach. I've been kind of waiting to see that jump forward for West Virginia. And I think West Virginia is going to be a good team. Um, but more impressed, honestly, I was more impressed with Pitt. They lose their offensive coordinator to Nebraska last year. Steve Adazio's lose. They obviously lose Kenny Pickett. They lose Jordan Addison, mm-hmm. who was the Belinda Koff winner for the best wide receiver in college football last year. So for them to come together uh, after how much they lost on that offense and still look really good uh, against what I think is a pretty frisky West Virginia team is a really impressive overhaul from where they were, you know, winning the ACC last year and being a two loss, you know, an 11 win team. I, I was just really impressed. I think with, um, the team that showed up, I, I thought I'll say this physically, they were a little more impressive than like, I think I usually give them credit for. Um, I, I don't know. There, there were a couple times I would just say during all the, the Thursday night games and we'll see on Saturday, it usually early on the season, it's the same old mistakes. And I always laugh because sometimes the commentators say the wrong names, right? It's just the first game for everybody. Yeah. The refs, whatever. But I felt like the product on the field, it wasn't like there were a ton of missed tackles and, and I mean, there were, but like, not as usual as much as I usually am, I guess, used to. And, and that was actually impressionable to me that it seems like all of these teams, whatever's going on in camp now, it's doing, they're doing it right because it seems like they're showing up to play on these early games. Absolutely. Um, and and I, there's something too. I think there's always that little extra juice of week one, right? You finally get to hit some, especially in college, you don't have, you know, padded practices against other teams you don't have the cross practices that you have in in training camp in the nfl so the first and there's no preseason so the first time you get to hit somebody else is week one and for that to be such a heated rivalry i mean that 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 game just had an extra level of juice to it that is one of the things that when people talk about you know the future of college football and how much they're going to miss certain things that's one of the things that people were referring to you know like a game that a rivalry that hasn't been played in 11 years but still felt like they had, you know, gone toe to toe for the last decade. Uh, and yet it still had this crazy energy about it. It was, it was a, it was a perfect Thursday night ending. Um, I thought JT Daniels looked really good. And as a guy who's bounced around 
Um, obviously the stuff at Georgia didn't work and he won a national championship there, but never really got to see the field. Right. Cause Stetson Bennett took that job and it was working. They never gave it back to him T- towards ACL at USC. And now he's on his mm-hmm. third team. Um, so for him to get, to get an opportunity at a good program with a good team, that's now in year three, I believe with Neil Brown. Um, I thought it was just really, really, really good to see him go out and, and throw the ball around and have some success. So, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much it in terms of big games on Thursday night. Um, was the Indiana game was that Thursday or Friday? That was Thursday night too, right? Or it might have been Friday, but yeah. it was it was Indiana, Illinois, I believe. It was another Big Ten matchup, mm-hmm. and I, that was what, I don't know if you guys caught the play or not, but the the touchdown pass that they took off the board for Illinois was like one of the worst referee, you know jobs i've ever seen ever like they absolutely screwed illinois on that i still don't understand what they saw or how they overturned it because you know if you're going to overturn it's got to be clear it looked like a touchdown to me um either way illinois had a chance to go up you know two and oh to start the season but tom allen and the who's got a big win to start off uh friday night we had michigan state uh western michigan not much to report on there peyton thorne looks good that offense how they replace Kenneth Walker the third is going to be the biggest thing. Um, and they trusted Peyton Thorne a lot in that game. Now, obviously, it's Western Michigan, right? So we're not talking about a conference mm-hmm. matchup here, but Peyton Thorne threw the shit out of the ball. Uh, and so let's let's just dive into Saturday because Saturday was where it was at. Um, the yep. first round, the 12 o'clock games, uh, UNC App State was just a batshit crazy game. Uh, yeah, I was that was awesome. <laughs> I was talking to Scotty yesterday, and I had I had a three-leg parlay. Um, that all I needed was fucking NC State to score a touchdown at one point and to cover. I, I got NC State at minus four and a half at one point because they were losing the ECU. So I got a great line there. And then the third leg of it, I forget what the other one was, but the third leg of it was the over, which I had at 69 and a half for UNC and App State. And I'm like sweating it out in the third quarter. Like, all right, just need one more touchdown. We're good to go. And then you look at the final score and it's 63 to 61. I was like, yeah, I probably yeah. didn't have to sweat that one out as much as I did. Uh, zero offense in that game. Uh, what was the other uh, defense. defense? Sorry, all <laughs> yeah. offense, no defense. Uh, the NC State, NC State ECU game. Yeah. Uh, wow, what a finish, man! That poor kicker chokes on the. He was the. He was also the AAC kicker of the year last year. He was the. He won the. I, con- I would transfer. Oh man, you that, missed the extra point, and then brutal. he's he's got a shot at like a fifty-yard field goal at the end. Had plenty of leg and just pushed it right. Now they did say the holder kind of screwed him on that. Who I don't know if you saw the ECU punter. And shout out to Mike Houston, who's the head coach there. He used to be the head coach at JMU when I was at JMU. Um, but he loves these Australian punters, and they have this Australian punter at, at ECU who's thirty years old. Yeah, and he still has two more years of eligibility. Yeah, man, you, you come over from the Australia Rules League or from somewhere else and, and hey, you want a college education and you can kick the shit out of a ball? Come on. But he, no, he, that, that game he was crazy, man. Hold. He fucked up the hold on yeah. that. Laces were in. Yeah, exactly. No, he's a punter, right? He just, they do the run, yeah, punt. But yeah, exactly. A lot of them. That's why I've always said, why don't you have a wide receiver do that? Mm. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's it's because, but the, the answer is because when it breaks down, right? quarterback and scramble and throw it but it, it should be a receiver in my opinion but um so the other but about that game nc state ecu that was an absolutely crazy game and it rolled right into because that was that was still part of the early window yeah um 
And, and so like we had already had a couple crazy finishes that started to feel like even not just a typical college football. I feel like opening weekends are kind of like we have football back, but there aren't great matchups or great games. There were great games from one from 12 o'clock on. Mm -hmm. And they, they've made an emphasis on that schedule wise for over the last couple of years to push those beginning. I mean, and usually you usually would have one or two big ones. Like forget what was the year. I think it was like 2016 maybe but florida state came in as the number three team in the country and alabama was number one and they played week one and it was deandre francois got hurt in that game um mm-hmm. but that really felt like that was kind of the changing of it whereas like teams were starting to schedule their out of conference big games um especially the big boys your georgias your alabamas your oklahomas who aren't afraid to take on you know a, at least like last year alabama played miami you know like week one Um, so I think they're a little less afraid to do it now, but especially why would Alabama be afraid of anybody? Why would Georgia be afraid of anybody? Right. Uh, you can take on Oregon week one and we'll, you know, we'll get to that game in a little bit. I was going to say Oregon in general, by the way, I've never seen a team schedule out of conference like Oregon. They just seem to want the biggest every single year. And I love that approach because I I do too. It doesn't always work out, but when it does, it's beautiful. When, especially for the PAC 12, like with the PAC 12 being as up and down as it is a big out of conference win, like they'll go Oregon did last year, right? They beat Ohio state and paid off huge for them. The fact that they had Ohio state, I think that was week two or week three, but early in the out of conference window, uh, and then the Big Ten, you know, they're doing more conference matchups in the early parts of the week where you guys, you know, you guys had Purdue, uh, Nebraska and uh, Northwestern in week zero. And then we had Illinois and Indiana playing uh, in week one this year, which I like that, too. I like the idea of having a conference game. Now, if I'm a fan of that team, I probably would not be. <laughs> I'm probably not that big on it because it's such a meaningful game before you ever really yeah. tested. But it's still a really great opportunity right and as a as a viewer as an un, you know unpartial viewer in those games that's amazing for the general fan base to have an important conference matchup coming in smacking in the face week one and sometimes you get results like purdue and penn state which was a phenomenal game um yeah, yeah nc state my my pick of having nc state winning the acc does not feel great right now um <laughs> Not loving that. But you're alive, and that's all that matters. They are alive, <laughs> but I was motherfucking NC State up and down on Saturday, man. I can we? Oh, I, I do not understand this, why this is a thing in football, and you see it in the NFL sometimes too. You're on the one-yard line. Why is shotgun ever an option? Why are you and, ever and, in shotgun on the one-yard line? And you better goddamn not pitch it. What, what was that about? And we'll get to that. Like this, I mean, it's just – they had five Some, plays. play calling is just ridiculous. They had NC state had five plays from the one yard line and the, the one they handed it off. He, they called it a fumble on the field. It was not a fumble. The ground 100% forced it out, but there was no clear camera angle. But you could tell by the way he was falling. We've all seen fumbles like that a million times where the guy's landing on his forearm. He looks down and then all of a sudden you see the ball squirt out. Like there was no yeah. way in hell that ball got punched out, but because there was no angle and they called it a fumble on the field, ECU got the ball back. So they've then forced a great three and out, get the ball back. They get, I think the punt returner took it back to like the 30. So they're like on, on the ECU 30, they get it all the way down to the one yard line. They have four shots to punch it in. They actually tried to do a QB sneak, but the refs blew it off because they fucked up the spot. And they that easily would have gone in, but then they never went back yeah. to it again. And on fourth and fourth and one from the goal line, you know, they're handing the ball off at a shotgun. And it just it will it's never wild. it your your running back gets no head start. You know, you're you're 
losing at least a second and a half from the push of the offensive line, it just makes no sense. Just get behind your, you know, ECU is a pretty solid team and they've done a good job recruiting over the last couple of years, but like you're NC state, you have a senior center run behind, yeah. just give it to Devin Leary and run behind the motherfucker. Um, but they did escape. Uh, I, they didn't move in the rankings at all, which was a little bit surprising, but um, they escaped, they got through. And uh, I guess if you're an NC state fan, that's all you can really hope for. Right. Yeah. One other matchup that I was interested in and, and kind of went, I thought honestly was the Cincinnati Arkansas game. Yeah. Cause that so led Arkansas, into, that was in the three o'clock window. Yeah. And I, I just feel like that game, right. It was, is Cincinnati, can, can they, are they going to be great this year? Love the scheduling of Arkansas. Um, you know, it, it definitely, I would say, uh, I, I was flipping between these, this game. So I, I, you know, I didn't get to watch this full one, like watched when I could watch all the highlights, but I mean, it seems like this KJ Jefferson dude just really started going off, um, yeah. four touchdowns and, and I saw two of them, but the, I, what I couldn't believe either was just the way in which Cincinnati they didn't score in the first half. They scored 17 in the third and uh, then again, the fourth, but it just was too little too late. I think, you know, they just didn't have it in the first half. I don't know what else to say. This was a classic, great college football game where both you like both teams. Right. And, and yeah. there are no moral victories in college football, but for Cincinnati, what they, with the amount similar to what we were talking about with Pitt for the amount that they lost. Right. Um, yeah. obviously Desmond Ritter, yeah. you're talking about all the seniors on defense, the two starters on the defensive line, two starting cornerbacks, you're losing, uh, your number one wide receiver, your five-year quarterback, you're losing two of your running backs, like the amount that they lost. And yet still they were in this game with a quarterback who, uh, you know, Bryant, who is a completely different quarterback than what Desmond Ritter is, is pure pocket passer. The fact that they hung in there with an Arkansas team that I, I mean, I told you guys preseason, like I was high on Arkansas. I've been high on KJ Jefferson. Uh, KJ, he looks like yeah. he's actually lost some weight. Cause he, when he was running the ball, he was moving. He had 18 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown from quarterback and a non running offense, like quarterback running offense. Um, mm -hmm. And then the accuracy, I mean, he, that's like his thing. He led the sec in um, completion percentage last year, 18 to 26, 223 yards, three touchdowns played a fantastic game. The Arkansas offense was basically flawless the whole time. They got pushed whenever they wanted it at the, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and the defense came out to play in the first half. But again, credit to Cincinnati. This Cincinnati team is one of those where you had you had no idea, right? We all like Luke Fickle. We know they're a good program. But for them to have shown out as highly as they did with the amount that they lost, I thought was really, really impressive. Yeah, and a, and a, a darling pick to, uh, to make some noise in the SEC is Arkansas. Uh, so... You know, for you're right, Jeff. For them to come out the way they did against oh, what I think is going to be a really tough team uh, throughout the course of the year, uh, kudos to them. Uh, I'm still not sold on KJ Jefferson, but you know, hey, if he's going to be that efficient, uh, he averaged what just over 12 yards uh, per completion uh, this game. So, uh, if he's going to be that efficient and and let guys you know do what they want after the catch. Uh, that's where they found success last year with Traylon Burks, right? So, um, so you know that that's that's the the key of for success to me is that if they can do that and control defenses a little bit, uh, it's almost like an extended run play if your quarterback's going to be that efficient and effective. So, uh, 
that that's uh, that's a good recipe in the SEC, keeping Definitely. the ball in your hands. And, and I think on top of that too, like KJ Jefferson did a really good job of of not just it wasn't just dinks and dunks. You know, I mean, he he yeah, I wouldn't say right. he was airing it out, but he was attacking that middle part of the field. He yep. really looked like he's progressed a lot as a thrower. Um, and I think the big question with Arkansas going into the season, too, was how do you replace Traylon Burks, who made up like 70 percent of their receiving yards? Uh, yeah. And and he threw the ball around um, Hazelwood, who was a, a former um, Oklahoma guy. He's now with Arkansas, um, but he threw the ball around to a, a bunch of different guys and uh, was efficient. I mean, I think what six different wide receivers caught passes in this game. They all had 10 or more yards. Um you know, he had 75, 43, 42, 30, 22, right? So he found ways to get guys open. Um, I just think this Arkansas team is going to be a really tough out. And I think Cincinnati's better than what a lot of people thought they would be after how much they lost. So I, I would I would put myself in that category. I thought they'd be way worse, and, and they showed me something. And I, I'm happy for Luke Fickle, right? I think yeah. that's probably for the Cincinnati program. Yeah. And, and to see teams go one and done, I would love to see another Boise State establish themselves, be around for another 10 years get pulled up to one of the power five. Well, and you know, Cincinnati is in the big 12 moving forward, you know, uh, it's going right. to be a couple of years, but you know, they're, they're going to make that jump probably by like 2025, I believe is when that's, you know, slated to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, for them, it, it says so much more about your program, what happens after all your best players move on than it does just about anything else. You know, like, like the fact that they could lose that much leadership and everything and then go to, Fayetteville and play that game to a touchdown. Um, especially as, as you pointed out too, Vito, I mean, being down 14, nothing at halftime and then getting the offense going, uh, it says a lot about the coaching staff there, but it also says a lot about the, the culture of that program, which I never doubted. I love Luke fickle. Um, but it was just nice to see. It was nice to see as someone who really likes that program. Uh, the third game in that window, uh, triple overtime, Houston, UTSA, Un, unreal back and forth game shout out to UTSA they had that unreal undefeated stretch uh, streak last year um, and then ultimately come out to to show out in this game and, and UTSA was winning this game right I mean they were up 21 to 7 in the third quarter and Houston comes out with a 17 point fourth quarter and the the overtime rules which I know we've talked about on this show before um I don't know. I, I find it really entertaining, though I don't love it. I think I would rather have three overtimes of, hey, you know, you get the ball at the 25 and then, you know, you get the ball at the goal line, it becomes a two-point conversion. The thing that really pisses me off about that was I had Houston on the spread and I had them at like minus four. And once you get into triple overtime, you just know your best, yeah. your best loss, right? Because if it's any other type of overtime, a touchdown is still in play, right? You can It'll still yeah. help you. But I mean, I guess if you had Houston money line, you're happy. But I mean, having Houston still, on, on the on the spread there was sucked. And not, not just that, overtime's terrible for overs now. It's just two points and two points. It used to yeah. be just over galore. Um, I'm not a gambler. What are you talking about? Uh, so no, I, I, <laughs> I don't agree. Have a problem. I, the game was crazy. I mean, it was it was again a two point conversion, which got them the win and um, 37-35 final score. With again, I think some some crazy stuff going on right towards the end of uh right. I mean, I mean, they UTSA made a field goal at the end of the fourth quarter with like zero seconds to push to overtime. So like, um, it, great play there it was thirty seven yarder. Uh, Jared Sackett is is the kicker's name. 
love that name. Uh, he kicked a 39 yarder in overtime um, and uh, in the first overtime. And I just thought that it was cool to see UTSA to your point. We knew that they had really great streaks, but you know how they fare against Houston. They fared pretty well. Yeah. And Houston is looked at this year as the, the group of five team that can, you know, try to make a push and go undefeated. Um, mm-hmm. I think universally that them in Cincinnati are the two group of five teams that most people think are, are the top of that, of that tier. Uh, and, you know, Christian tune, their quarterback is, is a stud. I mean, his scrambling stuff was unreal in that game. And, and he, he put his, the team on his back, made some clutch throws in overtime uh, and, and then UTSA came out and did the exact same thing right back at him. Uh, it was just, yeah. it was a classic, great back and forth. Uh, and, and again, like this is the, this is the part of college football that I absolutely love, right? You have this two group of five teams. One went, I think they ended up going 12 and one last year, 11 and two, uh, UTSA did. And then a Houston team that won 10 games and you get them matched up here week one at a conference and not a lot of people know much about UTSA other than, you know, Jeff Trailer got that team to a really, really good position last year. Uh, and then everyone loves Dana Holgerson. So it was like two polar opposites to Jeff Trailers, this really kind of conservative personality, upright, classic kind of, co- you know, football coach. And Dana Holgerson with his freaking mullet and his beer gut and his, you know, big old Southern accent and everything else that, that we love about Dana Holgerson. It's just it's it's reality TV, man. It's it's the absolute oh, yeah. freaking best. And then to have it go into triple overtime too it was just like it was it was unbelievable. It was such a fun game in that middle window, uh, which again people thought this would be a good game. Houston was a four point favorite. I had Houston on our picks on Friday. Uh, I went two and three on the picks, so five and three on the year so far. Um, freaking NC State, little son of a bitch. Um, but as a whole, no, it was it was a really, really good middle window game. And it set us up well, because uh, in that went it was nice that we had that game, too, because the Georgia Oregon game was just an absolute slaughter. Uh, it was, uh, Imagine it was that. <laughs> Turns out Georgia's still really good at football, guys. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. you guys knew that. But yeah, Georgia still really, really good at football. They I mean. Bo Nix is now the starting quarterback for Oregon, right? So if you didn't know that coming into the season, he, the guy from Auburn. So the whole talk, right. Was he had played Georgia four, all this stuff and and we'll see what happens. And he got dominated. Oregon got dominated on both. Like that Georgia defense is special. I mean, it just is the offense is good enough. Like, I think it's going to be good, but that defense is still, I mean, they lost so many, not just starters, first round picks and guys who are making big impressions on NFL play like teams and players. And somehow, some way Georgia looks just as dominant against, you know, number 11 in the country. It's just like, what, what the hell's going on down there? And I know they, their recruiting is on that top tier level. You're not like you're Alabama's great to do. I'm, my point is that I don't even think there's a tier separated. They're on the same tier as Alabama recruiting and Georgia just has players like this all the time. So this is something that, you know, we should expect to see at least for the next four years. I, I don't know. You still got to put it together. And it's just been impressive that they've continued to put it together on the defensive side. Yeah. yeah. What's, and and what's, it just, ahead, it, it put, it puts so much separation, you know, between uh, like, I think it further separated the, those tiers too, Vito, to, to expand on your point. Like I had, I was texting my my uncle, my family, a lot of my family went to Oregon and they, for the first time were like, Oh, 
boom, light bulb went off that there are tiers to uh, the Power Five conferences, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the top of the SEC is way higher up than the elite of the Pac-12. Well, and, and and Oregon had a bunch, you know, yeah, Mara Cristobal left, but a lot of the recruits didn't leave. And Mara Cristobal has done a really good job of bringing in guys. And, you know, I, I was all in on Georgia. Like I, I said, Georgia would slaughter. If anyone watched Bo Nix play Georgia over the last couple of years, it was not pretty. Uh, and mm-hmm. what's interesting about this Georgia team. They had Dan Lanning too, though, right? Yeah. And Dan Lanning, who is the head the now. And I kept saying Dan Manning on the pod on Friday. And my apologies there. Uh, I was thinking of the old basketball player. Um, but Dan Lanning, who is the head coach at Oregon, uh, he was the defensive coordinator at Georgia last year. So you're thinking, okay, maybe he, maybe he's got some, some tricks up his sleeve. Maybe he's got something that they can do. Uh, at least he'll know how to attack that defense. But what's crazy is the weakness. If you can say there was a weakness on Georgia last year was the cornerback room. Right. Uh, and the cornerbacks were unreal in that game. The interception by Malachi Starks. Holy shit. The one handed one down the sideline. I mean, already Incredible catch like play of the year, like already from, from week <laughs> one, at least. And we're going to have a million more like that. But that catch was unbelievable. And he's, I mean, tracking back, turns his back to it, jumps up, skies it one hand down from a defensive back is just crazy. And he also led the team in tackles, right? So we're talking about a a team that had, that lost, what, seven guys to the NFL from their defense last year. Um, Jalen Carter, who is still probably the best player on that, one of the best players on that defense last year between him and uh, and obviously Jordan Davis and uh, Nicobe Dean, shout out the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know they they're all there, so they still have guys returning that are really good. They have young guys who were the weakness of the defense last year who are, who are there and are still going to be really really good. Uh, I, the future for this Georgia team, man, this season, I was just I was there, and the offense looked awesome. I mean, I know they're not playing you know, an SEC defense, but Oregon's defense is, is good. Like they have like Sewell, their linebacker is going to be a first or second round pick next year. Um, they had a bunch of guys on that defense. That's really good Flo, the linebacker, which is there a better name for a linebacker, by the way, his last name is Flo F L O E, you know? And if there's one like thing, that. if you ever, if you ever played linebacker, that movement yep. towards the line is you're, you're following the flow of the play and then you plant your foot and you get up field and you make a tackle. So I was like, that dude was born to play linebacker. Um, and you got him in that, you know, so they, they had guys on that defense and Stetson Bennett looked fucking awesome. He did. And and it was just a continuation from last year. So like it, it's, it's, that's a scary team. That's a scary team. And we'll talk about some of the others here. Um, you know, number three, two and one, they all won in different fashion. Um, but I think all were impressive and that's, that's a tier right there. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of buried the lead of all the games on Saturday because obviously the best game was Iowa and South Dakota state, which we oh, have, yeah. that's what we have Without to talk a touchdown. about <laughs> seven, seven to three and Iowa didn't score a touchdown. There was a great meme that went around of the, from the star Wars prequels where it's like Anakin and she, he's talking to Natalie Portman and it's like, it's going to be a verbal meme. It's not going to work. But if you if you look at it, it's fucking funny. But it's essentially, it's like, oh, they scored a touchdown, right? And then it cuts away. And just, yeah. just, right? <laughs> right. Um, but no, they in I, fact didn't. Five to three <laughs> and the two, two safeties and a field goal. Uh, I, I saw South Dakota State punted more times than they had first downs. 
in the entire game. Um, just, I mean, and here's the thing too, is like, does Kirk Ferentz walk away from that game and go like, great job boys. Like that's a gritty hard fought win. I mean, the punt gods were on in, in full effect. I don't know, man. I mean, you're right. I mean, let's put it this way. There were a total of 196 passing yards total between both teams. And there was about, I want to see rushing yards. It was, it was less than 200. I mean, this was a really, really uh, defensive game. If, if that's, that's so nice, way to that's such it. a nice it way 90, of putting it. 90 total rushing yards. Yeah. Oh my G- yeah. With quarterback sacks, I bet. Yeah. That's it's brutal. I mean, that's not a, a game. I, I love defensive battles, not one like that, but Hey, two safeties in a game. That's uh that, that's right. And you're right. It's totally funny. Look, seven to three, uh, normal game, whatever. No, not normal. At all. And South Dakota state is a really good FCS program. Like they're in the top yeah. tier, especially now without Sam Houston state and JMU, they are probably the number two program in the FCS behind North Dakota state. And so I'm not trying to slight them at all, but you're fucking Iowa, dude. Like, how are you how do you not how are you not able to run the football against South Dakota State? Not the over under was 42. The def- <laughs> yeah, the, well, I and the under should have been taken, but like think about this. The defense scored four points and gave up three. Like it, it's insane for Iowa. Like they did their part by far, and Iowa's offense is just they're just like, dude, do something. You know, it's a, they're pushing with a stick that yeah, other means do, do, do something. Do something. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was five to three, I think, at halftime. And I looked at the over under and it was at 23 and a half. And I was like, yep, taking the under. <laughs> I was like, I've never felt more confident in a bet in my entire life than taking <laughs> under 23 and a half in a game that had, I think at that point, like 150 yards of total offense in it. Um, and I don't yeah. know if it changed much. I, I was going to say though, when, when you were saying the best game of the weekend, I have one that we haven't touched on yet. Florida beating Utah. Well, yeah. So I was tongue in cheek with that. If that didn't come across enough, because well, yeah, that game sucks. Because I thought you just love safeties. No, <laughs> I mean I do. Don't get me wrong. Um, but no, you're right. I mean Utah, Florida, and then Ohio State and Notre Dame are going to be the next two that I want to get into here. But the Utah and Florida game was awesome. Just a fantastic Good. football game. Really, really impressive showing from Florida. Uh, and even more impressive was Anthony Richardson. I mean, obviously the play the two-point conversion play when he spins out of the pump fake and ends up throwing to a wide-open wide receiver. There's something so satisfying, too, in in football when there's a touchdown or a two-point conversion and you're throwing it to the back of the end zone and the player doesn't move. Like, the receiver's just there like he's having a catch and it's just, like, flat-footed completely. Didn't have to move, just, boom, hit him square in the hands. Um, Yeah. That play was unbelievable. But Anthony Richardson, man, like, Holy shit. Like this is the he that was the version of him that I didn't understand why they couldn't why Dan Mullen couldn't do more with him last year. Now Dan Mullen's obviously just a you know sleazy little scumbag um and a terrible not terrible football coach but not a good football coach. <laughs> and I just was I was really really impressed with how Florida looked and I loved Billy Napier. I loved the hire when it happened. Uh and Utah's a hard fucking team to play, man. Like they yeah. don't have, they may not beat you all the time. They might be under man, but they will always bring a good effort. They never have flat games with Kyle Whittingham. They always play really, really strong. And obviously, you know, it was in Gainesville, which helps, but uh, for them to come out and win that game and a close game to have the pick to seal it off at the end of the game too, uh, when it looked like Cam Rising and, and the rest of that team, also another great quarterback named Cam Rising. Um, 
Just yeah. a really, really great football game and a huge win for a Florida program that, like, I think we even talked about this, or I might have talked about this on Friday when I was doing the pod, but, like, Florida needed that. You know, like, Florida, like that for that program, yes. for what they can be, they needed that. <laughs> and to your point earlier, I, if you haven't seen it, you everyone owes it to themselves to go look at that two-pointer because the pump fake – like so he, Chester, he spin, he pump fakes and spins away from two defensive linemen somehow in one fluid motion, and then just slams the ball perfectly, like on the run. Still, it's he he looked he showed something that's absolutely special. I mean, and, and the best part, I mean, at the end of the game, Utah's going down. There's less than like 20 seconds in the game. They're gonna it, they're in scoring range. They're in like 13 or something. They're very close to the end zone, and Florida picks it off. They finish the game out in defense, which that's always the concern, right? You have this offensive quarterback and it's special and you can tell there's something there. Can, can you, can your team play complimentary football? And Florida was able to do that against a very good Utah opponent. And I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, obviously that's two. Um, you know, we mentioned Oregon earlier, two big losses for the PAC 12, but you know, for Florida, I mean, Georgia's going to be Georgia, but for Florida, you're right. I think this is a catapult forward. And I really, really hope that they can get some momentum building on this. Cause I would love to see that program back in the, you know, not only top 25, but even higher. Yeah, because Florida is a place you can win. There's only a handful of places that you can win at, you know, and, and we've talked about it before, but the one of the biggest things for college football in terms of how do we, you know, is expanding the playoff going to fix college football or, or fix the parity issue, right, that people are always so worried about. And I think the most important thing is not necessarily, uh, you know, expansion or transfer portal or, or any of that stuff. I think a huge part of it is having good coaches at the right places. And right now between Steve Sarkeesian being at Texas and Lincoln Riley being at USC and having a guy like Billy Napier at Florida, um, having someone like Mario Cristobal at Miami, like having good coaches and programs that matter because we just haven't had that really for the last decade at some of these places is monumental for parody in college football because again if, if billy napier comes out and they win eight or nine games this year that's a monster first season that i mean that is huge for the program uh and what's great is anthony richardson i don't know that play i don't know what you guys think because i heard there are people throwing up comps all the time uh to anthony mm -hmm. richardson who i don't i mean he was a five-star kid really really talented big strong crazy athlete um but People kept saying like, oh, kind of reminds me of Vince Young or, you know, someone. and I was like, that that play, that was Johnny football. That pump fake play was like apex Johnny football spinning yeah. out, right? Like that was the kind of vibe I got. So if nothing else, Anthony Richardson is going to be a phenomenal college quarterback. Um, I mean, he had 100 yards on the ground with three touchdowns in addition to also. I mean, he didn't throw the ball all over the yard. He was much more dink and dunk because I think he's not particularly polished as a passer, but he didn't make mistakes. 17 to 24 for 170 yards, no touchdowns, right? He just, he game managed the shit out of it. And then they had three guys with over 60 rushing yards. ETN's younger brother is playing at Florida. Uh, and he's a great little scat back there. Uh, for Florida moving forward, it's going to be the defense, as you were saying there, Vito. I mean, Utah ran for 230 yards. Uh, that's way too much, especially in the SEC when you're going to have to grind it out. Now, look, Utah in the trenches and on the offensive and, and defensive line, but particularly in the offensive line, they're big, they're nasty, they're going to be able to move the ball. Um, but they'll they'll need to shore up some of that. There's definitely still some holes on the back end. But 
if nothing else, I think this Florida offense is going to be really fun to watch all year because they have a great backfield with a really mobile, fun, athletic quarterback. And they got a good room of wide receivers, which, um, again, you know, they didn't throw it all over the yard. But when you run the ball as well as they do in college football, it's going to open up a lot of stuff in the passing game for them, too. So I'm I'm excited. That honestly was probably even though I, I did have Utah, um, that was probably my favorite game, my favorite game of the year. Of the Saturday so far, that game was was fantastic. Um, well, that's good. My favorite was this next one. We're probably gonna hit on exactly. And I wanted Same. to double. I wanted to double check and make sure. Uh, yeah, there's no other real. There weren't any other games really on Saturday uh, before we get to the Sunday game, which yeah. actually was my favorite whole. My favorite game of week one was the the Sunday night game. But uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, really really good game. Um, interesting. I thought Marcus Freeman did a really, really good job of game planning. I think he knew he didn't have the horses to outscore Ohio State. So they said, we're going to play our best defense and we're going to try to hold the ball. I mean, they were milking the clock from like the first quarter on. Uh, They wanted long drives. They wanted to keep the ball out of C.J. Stroud's hands. And I'll tell you what, like at halftime, Notre Dame up 10-7. That was a pretty shocking, you know, headline or pretty shocking box score at that point. And, And credit to Ohio State. Because the two questions of Ohio State last year, we knew how much they could throw the ball. We knew the explosiveness of, of the offense and Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud. But the two biggest things were, can they run the ball when they need to, right? And you have Travion Henderson, who's arguably the best running back in college well, football. But yeah, then also – A lot of that was the offensive line, though, too. And, true. And the way that they, and they, they weren't go, able to, to throw guys around like they have been in past years. For sure, for sure. And to me, they kind of go together, um, running the ball, being able to do that in different ways. The offensive line's a big part. But then the other thing is the defense, right? Can the defense mm-hmm. show up and, and play consistently high-level football and not just, hey, we're going to send some, you know, their secondary last year was just bad, just flat-out bad. Uh, and instead, you know, Jim Knowles comes in and some of the scheme stuff that they had right out of the gate, um, the way they were disguising stuff, dropping back defensive ends into coverage, which is something we've never seen, especially with the, you know, the purebreds that they've had at D end over the years between the Bosa's and Chase Young. That's not something you'd see a whole lot where you're, you're like, no, we need this guy to rush the passer. And even with a potential first round pick on that D line, they were still dropping guys back into coverage and disguising things really well and making it really yeah. difficult on a young quarterback. They did an outstanding job. I, I thought, in the second half specifically, so you talked about that. The Ohio State goes in down, you know, 7-10 at half. Notre Dame coming out looking great. And one stat I saw before the game is Ohio State in out-of-conference top five matchups, right? Um, or when they when they play a team that's top five. Not, not necessarily they have to be there. But when they do these out-of-conference games, they were over the last five, beating a top five opponent. Um, out of conference at home they lost to Oregon right they, they just haven't won those games they've won away against USC Texas all these other schools they lose at home so this was a big win for the program and at halftime it was looking like oh here's another one right and what happened after halftime was special there was a couple plays I wanted to highlight one well it's two plays by one player and it was the touchdown catch by Xavier Johnson followed up by him running his ass down there on the kickoff and making a tackle on like the 10 yard line. Yeah. And that ignited. Oh my God. The whole crowd went crazy. That was, if you love football, that was the moment where you're like, fuck yeah, football's back. That's a football player. I can't wait to follow that guy's career. Even though he's at Ohio state, I, I will fully like that. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but then it followed in that really jolted the team. They played lights out defense uh, for the rest of the second half. And 
it wasn't just Henderson. I, I got to say that Mayon Williams, the backup number three, dude, that guy even like he looked like a bowling ball. Oh, I mean, he's back. To, yeah. Uh, dude, he looks like Maurice Jones drew from way back. Like he was just yeah. incredible. And I thought, well, Ohio state had two sustained long drives, a lot of on the ground in the second half. And the final one, 95 yards looked like seven minutes or something off and playing great defense. That showed me, Jeff, to your point, more than anything really I saw last year out of them because we knew they could throw the ball and light it up, whatever. But that was championship caliber football is just playing good defense and running the ball and and really beating Notre Dame, to your point, at their own game plan. And they they had yeah. to. That was the other aspect, too. Yeah. I mean, their top two wide receivers get hurt in the first quarter. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's, I think, one of the better wide receivers in the country – Gets, gets hurt in the first quarter and never comes back into the game. But Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, I've been talking him up since he's been at Ohio State. I mean, he looked fantastic. Um, and yeah. you're absolutely right. Mayan Williams mixed with Travion Henderson. I mean, that's a really, really good backfield. But they kind of looked at it, and and Ryan Day, who's been guilty of throwing the ball probably a little bit too much, uh, kind of was forced to be like, hey, you know what? We, we're beating them at the line of scrimmage. We have the better running backs. And I really liked it, too, from C.J. Stroud because – when, you, when you're in those pass-happy offenses, C.J. Stroud is, is you know, we, we've seen it from guys, especially at Ohio State, but just in college football in general, it's a lot easier to get into a rhythm, right? You're out mm-hmm. there, you're throwing the ball, you know you're going to get more bites at the apple. 34 attempts is a lot, but to what Ohio State standard is, it's not as much as when we see C.J. Stroud throw the ball 50 times in a game, which happened a lot last year. So he had to do more with less because he didn't have his wide receivers and because they were kind of changing up the game plan for how they wanted to end up winning this game, they executed it flawlessly in the second half. Yeah. I think that that's a huge part of it. Being able to, to do what you want at the line of scrimmage, you know, Uh, if you're, if you're in the pass happy offense, like you said, uh, the ability to to have a quarterback with the elite talent that CJ Stroud has to throw the ball and the weapons he has to throw to, by the way, uh, even, Sands, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, to be able to, to move the ball with your offensive line and your running backs, the way that they were able to, um, was, was massive and, it, and, and it helped control the game, uh, in, in the fourth quarter and keep the ball out of Notre Dame's hands, which was a good offense in the first half. Tyler Buckner played great. And this is the one question mark. I think I still have for Ohio state's defense, uh, Besides how well they played on the back end, if they can sustain that, they still don't have uh, what I think is a true uh, sustained pass rush. They have one QB hurry, three sacks, and, and that's what allowed Tyler Buckner to, to be able to throw the ball a little bit in the first half. But that's got to improve. If you're, if you're going to be one of these elite top three teams, that has to improve. You have to get to the quarterback, and you have to do it in, in big situations like they had um, facing them down the stretch. It'll be interesting to see how that ultimately plays out because, you know, Jim Knowles led top three defense last year in Oklahoma State. That team did not get after the quarterback. You know, his is much more based off of disguise, communication, pre-snap stuff that they do, and they make it really hard on the offense to figure it out. And by confusing them, you are giving yourself more time to get to the quarterback, and I think Ohio State has enough just natural talent on the defensive line that Oklahoma State didn't have that they'll be able to get after the quarterback a little bit better. Um, at least than they did at uh, Oklahoma State. But you're right. You have to be able to generate pressure because when you do go up against a Georgia or you're going up against, uh, you know, an Alabama with a quarterback of the caliber of a Bryce Young, 
you know, he's going to be able to pick some things apart if you give him enough time, especially with the wide receivers that they'll be going after him in the big 10. I think they will be okay. Um, you know, the, the best player, honestly, on that Ohio State defense right now is the linebacker, Eichenberg. I mean, he's he's yeah. like he's like Skalski was at Clemson, like just been there for five All years, over the field. just flies <laughs> over. But I give them a ton of credit because the the one knock on Jim Knowles as a D.C. over the years has been his defense is so complicated that it usually takes a couple of years of implementing it before people kind of pick up on it. And I give the players and the defense at Ohio State a shitload of credit for how quickly they were able to implement it to a point where like it worked like they did so much before the snap and so much disguising and communicated so well in game number one against a good Notre Dame team not a great team a young quarterback but still a good Notre Dame team that was really really impressive um and I'll tell you what right now like Notre Dame on their side of it the defense is going to be good the defense is good uh Mike Michael Mayer unreal tight end talent um which we didn't talk about that with Georgia, but what Georgia's bringing out at tight end right now is just absurd. Darnell Washington and not, Brock Bowers is just dude. They're like they might be the best athletes on the field. Yeah, you know what dude. I mean. They're just like, where's the best mismatches we can get you? Let's put you at tight end, and no matter who tries to line up against you, you're gonna win. I mean, Darnell Washington's six seven and runs like a four six four five forty. Like he's he he made a play. It was a deep. It was like a cr- shallow crosser. He catches it, breaks a tackle, loops up, and turned it into like a 30-yard gain after like throwing guys off of him and keeping his balance while doing it. So, yeah, I mean, the tight ends in college football this year are awesome. There's a ton of really good ones, Mike Mayer being one of them uh, at Notre Dame. So I I don't think Notre Dame's going anywhere. Like I think what Notre Dame showed on defense, um, and I think whatever juice Marcus Freeman's doing with this program, I think it's working. Um, And might just be, hey, you know what? It's a fresh start. No more Brian Kelly. We're moving on. Um, and as we'll talk about in our next game, maybe that's a good thing for Notre Dame. Uh, but I give Notre Dame a lot of credit. I know the, the offense was just keep away. Like they had, they knew they weren't going to be able to score, um, at least not score a lot. And their hope was, Hey, we're going to dirty and and ugly up this game as much as possible. Keep it low scoring and give ourselves a chance. And they did that against a really, really, really good Ohio state team. Um, let's talk about Brian Kelly (laughs) and let's talk about the Sunday night game. LSU, Florida State, monumental for Mike Norvell. Oh, my. He just bought himself two more years at Florida State for a guy who's, for whatever reason, his job uh, had seemingly been a little bit warm. Uh, and he can thank the special teams coach who is for Notre Dame or for LSU, who is the only coach that Brian Kelly brought from Notre Dame. The only coach that left Notre Dame was the special teams coach. Uh, oh, my God. I love it. Two muffed punts. Sweet irony. <laughs> two muffed punts and the missed uh, extra point or the blocked extra point at the end of the game. Wow. What what a what a way to cap off. It wasn't technically the cap off, but in terms of like, I mean, not many people are excited about Clemson, Georgia Tech, but still what an awesome way to cap off that Sunday with getting uh, what was objectively a really, really good game. And I'll tell you what, man, Florida State was really impressive. And this isn't the LSU team of 19 or some of the ones we've had. But they still have a ton of talent there. And Brian Kelly, game one, knowing those people in Baton Rouge, I would love to be a fly on the wall or at least listen in to Baton Rouge radio. I might have to text my boy Jacob Hester, who played at LSU and does radio down there, and be like, hey, what's it been like? What's it been like since Sunday? Because holy shit, I can't even imagine. I can't either. I mean, Brian Kelly is one of those guys, first of all, 
just openly, I'm going to state this. I don't like Brian Kelly. I didn't like him at Notre Dame. I, I've heard some stories about him and players and some things going on. Like, I just don't yeah, like he's his not a, not a great towards... guy. A student no. died on and, his watch. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's no, th- there's a lot of other examples that just the way he treats players and everything. So I, I've never been a big fan, but hey, he's a coach at this level. He's obviously good and he's been Damn good, good at some things. So, What's happened here? Okay, so when you're talking about a coach, and to your point, it wasn't just – it's not like it was a missed field goal. It was a blocked field goal. Yeah. Extra point. I'm sorry. That is so much worse. That is your guys not hitting their assignment. It's not like it, – it's just bad. So, all right, you get blocked, but two muffs, two muff punts where you give the ball away. And, it, it like and, and again, a muff punt, it's not like a fumble. Oh, you take the ball right here. It's – you're punting. We're already backed up. You just kick the ball in the air 40, 50 yards, and I'm going to drop it. So you basically just got a 40 or 50 yard play on fourth down is kind of how that translates to. So it just gave Florida, like all of these massive chunk plays to Florida State, these turnovers. And, you know, if all of those don't happen, it lines up. It looks like LSU is probably the better team and gets away from there. But to your point, Florida State was impressive. And the fact that they were able to run down there and capitalize on mistakes. You got to capitalize, and they, they were able to do that. I'm so happy that Brian Kelly lost his opening game down there. I can't tell you how happy I was about and that. And all you need to know about Brian Kelly is watch the press conference where he just threw the, the punt returner neighbors under the bus. Like, just absolutely – basically was like, yeah, no, he we, we thought he was good, but the kid actually, like, sucks. Like, he, they were so completely unfair to that kid and who just had the worst, right. the worst game of his life. And yeah, and Brian Kelly just immediately threw him under the bus. Uh, you know, say what you will about Nick Saban and, and Jimbo and some of these guys at the higher levels. That's not shit that they do, man. That's not shit that no. they do. Um, God, I'll say no. I'll say this. I, this game featured two of my favorite quarterbacks over the last three years that were irrational guys that I really liked. Um, Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels. I love Jaden Daniels at or Jaden Daniels at uh, Arizona State. And I've rooted for Jordan Travis. Now, my roommate, one of my best friends is diehard Florida State fan. At, at, after the blocked extra point, I just texted him. I was like, Florida State equals back. I was like, yeah, because he wants it. <laughs> he wants it so bad. And I was really happy for him. Um, but what was great is both of these guys looked better than they ever have. Um, Jaden Daniels, 200 yards through the air, 115 on the ground. Uh, and Jordan Travis just looked really c- comfortable for the first time. And he's been in constant quarterback battles every single year that he's been at Florida State. It's always been like, you know, oh, is Jordan Travis? Okay, I guess he's going to win the battle. We're not. But this year it was like this is his team, and he's going to get the chance. He's the known starting quarterback going into the year, and he played really well against a team full of guys who are going to be playing in the NFL. And and Jaden Daniels, you know, on the opposite side, just really, really solid first start. Um, he led them down the field in the fourth quarter to score a touchdown to tie it up, which is hard to do. And to do that on high high pressure national TV game Sunday night was a huge huge showing from him. And yes, it sucks uh, ultimately that yeah the the kick got blocked. But um, I don't know. There's something about like when you're in and out with college football, and I kind of even like this about the transfer portal now too. If you have guys that you really like, you just want to see them. By the time they get to be a senior, you just want to see them succeed, right? You just want to. It's almost like you're like their babysitter or like their uncle or something. You know what I mean? Like some weird relationship to them. And you're like, I just want you to do good. I just want you to be happy, you know? Um, And I thought it was really cool. Scotty, did you get a chance to watch this one? Because I know you were were on your way back, right? Or were you not back on Sunday? 
No, no, we weren't back. I'm, I'm watching the highlights, uh, and I saw some of the highlights yesterday too. But uh, I, man, I feel bad for that kid who muffed the punt. I really do. He had his hands buried in the in the grass. Uh, just, just awful. And then for Kelly to treat him that way, that's horrible. Get be better. I, um, I will say, I do think LSU played the better game. Like I do think LSU looked like the better football yeah. team. Um, but that's not necessarily what wins you it. And yeah, there was a couple of the big turns there, the muffed punt enough punts and then obviously the missed or the blocked extra point there um god how do you get the extra point blocked man i just oof, that's a that's a rough one um but especially a college extra point right we're not talking yeah, nfl here no <laughs> but but still like for florida state to have been as competitive as they were like if this game goes without lsu making mistakes they probably win this game you know 32 to 24 somewhere in that neighborhood right it's still probably a one score game um but for for Florida State to win to be in that game against a really a team full of at least a ton of talent with a good head coach, even if it's the first game for Brian Kelly or whatever, it says a lot about it. And the fact that the luck did break their way and they made the plays when they needed to and they ended up winning the game, um, that says a lot about the the fight in this Florida State team. And, and Mike Norvell being a guy that I thought has been treated pretty unfairly at Florida state so far in his tenure there for him to come out and have a big win. was, was really, really cool. So shouts to the Seminoles uh, and my adopted LSU tigers. Uh, we'll see. I mean, knowing Brian Kelly this week is going to be fucking hell for those kids, man. This week is going to suck to be an LSU tiger. Uh, but I don't know. I, like I said, I would love to know what Baton Rouge radio is like right now, because it's gotta be. And that's the thing that game was in new Orleans. That game was in the Superdome. Yeah. That's a home game for LSU. I mean, what a, yeah. what a steal for Florida State. What an unbelievable, unbelievable win for, for the Seminoles. Uh, and then last it's night. It's a huge program win. It's huge. It, it, it's monumental, especially for a guy like who, yeah, I mean, if, if Mike Norvell doesn't have a good year this year, he's probably fired. So yeah. to start off the season with that was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, last night, Clemson, Georgia Tech. Uh, I think – we're going to see the end of DJ Uyunglele pretty soon. Um, not sure what ugly, it is, man. Not sure what it is with this kid, man. I, I feel bad for him because it feels like it's, it's something that's like a yips kind of thing that he just can't get out of it. Um, the way he played in those two games against Notre Dame and against Boston college uh, in 2020 compared to what we've seen out of him last year. And then what we saw last night, it continued against Georgia tech of all teams. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, they still won the game by 31 points, so it's not like they were in trouble. But, like, you could just see it. Like, DJ did not know what he was doing. And Cade Klubnik, uh, highly touted prospect, I think sooner rather than later. I think – I don't know if we did this over-under or if this was something I did talking to somebody, but, um, I, I mean, I, I think by week three, week wow. four. Wow, you think it's that soon? I just I, – I don't, I don't know how you look at a game against Clem, against Georgia Tech when you're Clemson. Um I mean, 19 of 32. Yeah. Against the completion the, percentage, especially again in college, you got to do better than that. Yeah. And like, look, Clemson's got a great old O-line this year and they were able to, you know, run the ball really, really well, um, or at least efficiently. Um, and that's going to be big for them, uh, especially once they get around the goal line. The defense for Clemson is, is ridiculous. I mean, the defense is going to be, you know, on another level. Um, but just, yeah, really – really bummed a big big uh, it's a shame because a i worked really hard to learn how to pronounce his last name 
Um, <laughs> but B, like when he that little glimpse we got in 2020, he looked like, holy shit, this dude's on another level. Uh, and he just has not seemed to kind of get it all together. And, and this is, look, this is probably going to be the worst team that, that Clemson plays in conference this year, the worst power five team that Clemson yeah. plays this year. And uh, to, to not look that great. I mean, it was tied after the first quarter and yeah, they got it together in the second quarter and then, you know, kind of putting it away. And then Cade Klubnik comes in for the last drive and drops a dime of a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. It's like, yeah, let's get this kid in. Like I, I just, it sucks for DJ. Um, but I do think Clemson's going to be a really, really good football team. I think, it, I think they're going to continue to be a good football team. It's just a matter of, do they have that one bad loss or that bad almost loss, you know, like similar to what Oklahoma did last right. year where it was like Spencer Rattler clearly by week five was not the guy. And then, you know, red river rivalry, red river rivalry comes in and, uh, you know, you end up getting Caleb Williams bench or, or Rattler gets benched yeah. for Caleb Williams and, it's a, it's a totally different season for them moving forward. I, I feel like we're going to head towards something like that with Clemson. Yeah, because it's not an easy road, man. Uh, I mean, they got Wake Forest, uh, NC State, at Florida State, and, and Notre Dame all within six weeks. Um, and then Louisville and Miami right after that. So. Which the yeah. schedule's not easy. How so are you it's feeling about test... that Louisville pick, by the way, after they got the shit kicked out of them by Syracuse <laughs> on Saturday? Yeah, I'm, I feel great about it. They looked bad, dude. They looked so bad. That was one of the more shocking things, uh, you know, scores that I saw. <laughs> I mean, they got they got their lunch money taken and thrown to the fucking dirt. By, and I, look, so I like Dino Babers. We had a whole conversation, Vito and I, we did the ACC about Dino Babers. But hot seat. Man, for them to come out and beat the shit out of Louisville like that in week one was, and that was like a four-point spread, too. Like I yeah. think, and Louisville was favorite. I think it was like four and a half, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Point being that the leash is, uh, with the schedule is going to be short for, for DJU. Big time. And I think it's going to be one of those close call games where he just doesn't look good. Maybe it's against Wake Forest. Maybe it's against one of those other teams. And then they'll be like, you know what? We can't risk a loss. So I think know. it'll be, I think it'll be even, yeah, to your point, I, I would even say at a halftime when they're like tied or down because of him, they'll yeah. just be like, you know what? Let's see what the other guy's got, and I think he's going to win the job. Um, trying to think back. Oh, Friday night, we also had Virginia Tech going down to ODU. Uh, wow, shock, shock. The old there. Penn State coach battle. Yeah, they're now head coaches at, uh, at ODU and uh, Virginia Tech. Well, and how about, <laughs> I mean, ODU, the last two times they played Tech, they've beaten them. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. That, that I, don't, was... I don't know how you go on the road and lose that game as Virginia Tech. Yeah, neither neither do I. Uh, I'm trying to look through here, see if there's any games. There's one more game I know I have to mention here before we go. Um, but I think that's it in terms of games that, that matter. Rutgers with a big win against Boston College. Uh, shout out Please. to Tony Schiano. Or not Tony. Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano, thank you. I combined Tony, Tony Soprano, Soprano with, with, with Greg Schiano. Um, Delaware with a big win over Navy. Love ah, the blue love, hens. Love to see that for the blue hens. Fun fact: they're the only female mascot in uh, in Division One oh, football. Good, wow. good fun fact, right there. Because they're the blue hens, so they're, they're yeah. females. Um, Not gamecocks. No. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but no, the the last game that I have to talk about here, my boys, my boys finally make the jump to FBS. 
And what do they do? Yes. What do they do? Oh, you know, only the largest margin of victory for a team making their first start in an FBS level, you know, NBD. Wow. They won 44 to 7, 530 yards of total offense. They beat Middle Tennessee, who is, you know, group of five, Conference USA. But, uh, yeah, they, they threw a fucking gauntlet down. That's at awesome. Home. Yeah, 21 points in the second quarter. They they looked good, man. And the new quarterback they got from Colorado State is is a he's a baller, man. So, you know, I, I guess I said going in, I said five wins. If we can get five wins this season, first year in the FBS, that's a huge, huge win. Um, I even saw a Sunbelt commercial during the App State UNC game and JMU, similar to you know, the Big Ten one where they go across the country. Was similar to that, and yeah. I saw saw Bridge Fourth Stadium when JMU popped up, made me all feel warm, warm and fuzzy inside. So, uh, shout out to the Duke. Welcome man. to the FBS. It's Thank cool. you. We're good. we're glad to have you. We're happy to be there. We're happy to be there. All right, we're gonna take a quick break here, and we're gonna talk a little bit about the news that broke on Friday of Labor Day weekend. Uh, talk about a news dump, Friday news dump of college football playoff expansion. It's happened, and that will be coming on the other side. All right, we are going to talk about college football expansion now. But before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Alliance Accounting. Tax season is just like football season. It never really stops. And if you think it's hot out now while we're waiting for football season to come back, imagine the hot water you'll be in if you miss the October filing extension deadline. And whether you are a small to mid-sized business or an individual playing one-on-one with your income taxes, the trusted team at Alliance Accounting is here with reliable accounting solutions to get you across the goal line without missing any deadlines. I use Alliance myself. We all do on this podcast. They're phenomenal. They've got a fantastic small team that is always available to help. And one of the things I love most about Alliance Accounting is the deep roster they provide. For both individuals and businesses, Alliance will accurately file your federal and state taxes for you, saving you time and money, both of those things. Who doesn't love that? We all need more of that in our lives. They will review your return thoroughly to check for all available deductions and credits to make sure you score the maximum refund you deserve. And they'll help you plan for your team's future with their detailed and personal analysis of your taxes and provide your solutions tailored to your needs. And it doesn't stop there. Alliance Accounting's roster will help you get through overtime with their thorough and trusted bookkeeping and business finance services. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the game. We just had them this weekend, knowing that Alliance Accounting has got you covered for all of your tax needs. Visit their website at allianceaccounting.com. That's allianceaccting.com. Or find them on Instagram at alliance underscore accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. All right. Uh, Vito is in the middle of a fantasy football draft right now. Uh, yes. I'm on, I'm on the clock. So speaking of Alliance Accounting and being there every step of the way, can you guys help me right here? Yes. Um, I am choosing between Najee Harris, Saquon, or Alvin Kamara for my second pick here. I, I'm really thinking Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara. PPR yes. League. Yeah. Alvin Kamara drafted. Thank you. Thank you. That draft pick was brought to you by Alliance County. Shout out to Alliance County. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason they have fallen. Uh, he has been falling a lot in fantasy drafts. I'm not sure why, but yeah, Alvin Kamara. Get it either. Great pick. Great pick. Um, all right. Let's talk about this college football playoff expansion. And we might have another, depending mm-hmm. on how long we go, we might have another veto draft pick thrown in here as well. Um, 
So on Friday, the news broke after what seems like years for me and decades for me, having talked about this for so many different days uh, on ESPNU, we have an expansion in the college football playoff. 12 teams, uh, top four teams will get buys, and then we will have four on-campus playoff games, uh, well, potentially on-campus. Some of them might be off-campus, but I think there's going to be a large push to keep it on-campus. It's about time. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't fans of the playoff expansion, Some people wish we were still at the BCS model where we'd have two. This is good. This is good for college football. However you you splice it, all right? Even if it ends up being the top four teams the majority of the time, this is good for college football. It's good for fans. It's good for fans of teams that have been right on the cusp. You guys know that personally. It's just all in all, it's a good thing for college football, and I cannot wait. They're trying to get it. 2026 is the projected year, but there's a big push to get it ready by 2024. So could be two years from now. And we're talking about an expanded college football playoff. So uh, boys, I'll let you guys go here. What is uh, the thought process behind and just your overall feelings now that we officially have reached the expansion portion of the college football playoff era. Yeah, man, I'm so excited. And I think going back to the, the earlier point you made about, is it on, on like campus off campus, I think the only way it's off campus is if it's like this, it's, it's uh, LSU playing the Superdome. It's Georgia playing at, you know, um, Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I, I think it, maybe it's local NFL stadiums or something like that, but I think, or, or home. Um, I think that's, that's what would be amazing for a lot of these schools. And I, I just think it's a good, listen, it's good for the schools involved. It's a bigger revenue gain because we've all seen other bowls fade. Let's be honest. When the expansion hat or playoffs were incorporated, the care and in the money and other bowls, I mean, they're still there, but it's just not as impactful. Um, I would love for more teams to be involved in this playoff besides, I believe it's what, seven or eight total teams have made the playoffs. There's been 13 in, uh, I think, eight years or or 10 years, however long. I think so. And I think it's like, I think it's like six in the last four years or something or seven. So it's, it, 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 it really will help diversify the amount of schools involved, which again, it's all helps the money of, of this whole giant football money-making machine that we all love. That's college football. Yeah. It's still a business. And I think that's what is, it'll help a lot. And if you can bring it to campuses, I know right us in the Northwest, anyone who's a fan of a, of a team where it snows is just like, hell yeah, bring USC here, right? Bring Bama up. Let's see what they got. And I think this is the chance to really do that. Cause even if you schedule out a conference, it's September, it's not late in the year. This mm-hmm. it would be an amazing opportunity for a those folks game. to have that game. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's, it's a really great call. Now I was one of the people, Jeff, to your earlier point that said, you know, I, I really didn't even want to expand. And now that it's happened, like the second it happened, my opinion changed. And I don't know why I was just like, you know what, this will be fun. And I think it's because I've seen what's yeah. happened to, bowl games you know in the last six eight years yeah well it's not a far walk though for the revenue part of it right like what we've seen with the with the conference expansions and defections and all those sorts of things um it's not a far walk to the playoff needs to be expanded because now everybody who uh is part of every conference will benefit right um and that's that's obviously one of the big drivers of this do you guys think it'll it'll be watered down at all like it, it'll it'll make 
conference play less meaningful. No. And I've fought back against that the entire time. I mean, yeah. winning, winning your conference is punching your ticket to the playoff. It means just right. as much, you know, like, I, and the thing is too, is we're not, it's not quite the same drastic jump between in college basketball, where winning your conference punches your ticket in, like, even for like, you know, the big 10 and the sec and school, like conferences that are the big conferences in college basketball that always get teams into the tournament. It, it's, Honestly, like it's confirmation because we're going to have some two loss teams probably that end up at 13. Right. Um, and, but I think as a whole, but even still like your Penn state team, right. Scott, like, I, I think as a whole, this doesn't yeah. affect conference play. It's, it's going to be that much more because now you're guaranteed right before winning your conference didn't mean that you, you were guaranteed anything. So right. now that it's guaranteed, you win your conference, <laughs> you're in, you're going to get in. Yeah. Um, you may not get a buy. You might be the fifth team, you know, looking fifth or sixth team, you know, on the outside looking in. But if you win your your conference, you're going to be at the at the least you're going to be a two team or two loss school and a conference champion, and you're going to get into the playoff, and you're going to have an opportunity to at least get yeah. into the playoff. No, I I agree. I love it as someone whose team is constantly on the cusp. It, it would seem uh, usually sitting there anywhere anywhere between eight and twelve. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like. Finally, we we have a shot. And even the year we won our conference, we didn't get a shot. Um, and well, so I love I think, that aspect of it, too. And so, Jeff, this correct is a, me if I'm a wrong fan. here. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Scotty. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeff. The top four teams, we get a bye. Top four teams get a bye. And then five through 12 will be split up. You know, five plays 12, six plays 11, and so on and so forth. Um, now, I will say, I think that gives the top four teams a very strong um, advantage going into what will then be the, the semifinals. I love it, though. But and I think I, they have that have anyway. That. Yeah. No, I, I think they should have that. And why I love that is let's – these other games I think will be great for, again, teams that are, like you said, 5 through 12 that usually are just matched up in some bowl, and now they get the opportunity to play at home for the top half ranked of them, and, and they get to play a meaningful game in front of fans and then still continue, right? It's not and dumb. And that part I love. Game. They get to continue. That part I love because home field advantage in college football more than almost any other sport, home field advantage is such a difference maker, right? Who wants to go into into Beaver Stadium uh, and play a, a night game whiteout playoff game? I wouldn't. Who wants yeah. to pick anyone? Well, Alabama, Texas. Uh, like you don't want to go to these Ohio State, Michigan. You don't want to go to these big stadiums and, and where home field advantage plays such a pivotal role. Uh, for for that home team that that in the playoff it just it, it magnifies it even greater. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, real quick, ten seconds. Tyreek Hill or Leonard Fournette. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek. Yeah. Drafted. Thank you. No problem. I love this live drafting on the pod. Uh, now this is across the board. It's a win, right? Because, and I talked about this earlier in the pod, right? The problem with parity in college football was not expanding the playoff or not. It's great that we're going to have an opportunity now where your Penn State's in was a 2016 when they, you know, won the Big Ten, but, you know, they had the two losses didn't get into the playoffs. Right. Like yeah. that's it, it's going to be amazing that schools like that will now get a chance to play in. And you guys probably I mean, what did you finish that year? Fifth, sixth? Like you guys were pretty close yeah. on the outside. outside looking five. In. Yeah. So you're going to host a playoff game at that point. Right. All of that is great for college football. But that's not what the, the expansion problem was not what was holding back this lack of parity. And so 
the parity issue is still going to be there. You're still going to have the top five, six programs that are going to be competing in the final four every single year. But what is nice about it is with having good coaches at other schools, plus you're expanding the playoff, you're going to have more opportunities for upsets. You're going to have more opportunities for, you know, that one night in January where all of a sudden like it, it matters or it'll probably be in December. Right. And then they'll spread it out. So the national championship still falls on, you know, uh, on the new year's bowl games, but either way, you're still going to get chances for that quote unquote Cinderella. And it's, it's different than college basketball. You're never going to have a true Cinderella team, like a George Mason type run from a college football team, but you might have a Penn state who's on their a game going into, you know, a game against Alabama or Georgia. And if nothing else makes it competitive or makes it a really, really entertaining game. And, and some years you're going to have upsets like that. Like that's, that is why we all love college football. Now, the haves in college football are still going to be the haves, but ideally, if USC is better and Texas is better and Florida is better and Penn State's better and Michigan's better and all these really, really great programs are better, it's going to ultimately make that product that much more enjoyable, even if the end result is still the same teams that are constantly winning. And I think as a whole, I mean, the other aspect of this too that I really like on, on a different note is I think this slows down the conference realignment stuff, right? Because it, yeah, it's agreed. It's, it's because now the Pac-12 gets in, no question. That's a really good point. It's cementing yeah. something for the future of college football, which is that, look, I, I do think at some point the conference realignment, the two super conference thing will be a thing. But let's say you do have two super conferences, but you have a 12-team playoff. That's not going – now it seems less likely that you're going to have those two super conferences break off from the NCAA and, and operate under their own – you know, football world, right? They're going to be able to still stay in. And then your group of five schools, your Cincinnati's, your, you know, Houston schools like that, which I guess they'll be in the big 12 at that point, but still, you know, you'll have your Boise States and your BYU's still have bites at the apple. It doesn't alienate BYU who's independent. It doesn't alienate Notre Dame who's independent. And I think it just kind of puts at the very least, just it slows down this craziness of conference realignment that has made the future of college football seem so unstable. And this kind of feels like it at least stabilizes it a little bit, even though I think we all still know we're going to get to that point where conference realignment continues to happen. Yeah, no, agreed. Like I said, the fact that you can now guarantee that there will be a, a representative from each conference playing in the playoff, it's a slam dunk, and, it, and you're right. It halts the 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 uncertainty. Um, but I the other aspect I thought about too was, and that's a great point, Jeff. The other aspect I thought about too was now, you know, guys who would ordinarily opt out of the bowl game because they were headed to the NFL. Now you get them in a playoff game that's more meaningful. Um, you got to be ticked a little ticked about that if you're in the NFL. But as college football fans, no, we get to see a better yeah. product in January. Yeah. It, it is a higher risk that those players might get hurt because if you do win, then you're going to play another game, especially if, I mean, we're looking at three rounds, right, to get to the national championship right. now. You're going to have the first round where the top four get a bye. You're going to have another round. Actually, it could be four if you're like the 10th ranked team and you get all the way up. It could be four additional games for that team, right? So I, I ultimately, I don't think it'll be a huge problem because I think if you are in that first crew, that first crop of that five to 12, chances are you're probably not going to make it all the way to the national championship. But still, I, I am. And this is the one thing that I don't think anyone who loves college football can argue against. 
watching those games in November and December and everything leading up to the national championship game is going to be so much fun because the one weird thing that I've never quite loved about college football. And like, I think we're on the bowl games are fun. They're fine. They've become super devalued and they don't typically mean a much mean much in the sports world now, but we, you have that month and a half, two month gap between the end of the regular season and when the national championship and college football playoff starts. And now you're going to have games going through all that. And you'll still have bowl games. You'll still have, you know, your, your Gasparilla bowls and all that other shit in between. But now you're going to actually have real games that matter, that could potentially affect the national championship. And for college football purists who are like, I don't want a team with three losses competing for the national championship. That's just how you're going to feel. And there's people who don't love that about the NFL that don't love that the seven and nine giants or nine and seven giants went on to win a Super Bowl. I can't help people who think that way. That's their opinion. That's what they want to do. That's how they feel about it. But to me, that run that the Giants had, even though I hate the Giants, that's one of the most memorable moments in NFL history. And then obviously they knock off the undefeated, you know, Patriots at that point too. But still, like, that's what's kind of the amazing thing about having a playoff system. That idea that anybody can go in and win, it creates ultimate drama. And if you're a purist and you just want the two best teams, you're not going to like it. You didn't like it when they expanded it the first time. You're sure shit not going to like it now. But ultimate, <laughs> at the end of the day, ultimately, like, it's going to be far more entertaining. And as viewers and as fans of the sport, it's, we're all going to sit and watch it. And we're all going to love watching it. And I think to your point, it's, it's also the, that's the future. The younger fans want this style more. Let's just be honest. And so I think that's why you're seeing it fade towards this way. Cause that's the future of football. And we want to see these matchups late in the year across conferences. And I, I didn't think of that impact. I think you made a great point about how this impacts PAC 12, big 12. These other conferences now can stay around and have the, you know, know that, the winner is going to make the playoffs and probably the loser, if they're close are going to make it too. So that that's huge. I mean, that's all you can ask for from a conference standpoint. And there's going to be blowouts. Like that's the one thing I want to remind people too, is you, we can't romanticize <laughs> this whole thing too much, right? Like yeah. there's still going to be games that are like, Jesus, man, like Iowa was the 10th ranked team, but they're playing, you know, Georgia in the first round or Florida in the first round, they're just getting absolutely yeah. curb stomped. Like yeah, the loser of the sec is now like fifth or sixth hosting Georgia's hosting. Yeah. Like the loser of the PAC 12 and it's going to be an absolute shit show. Yeah. And like you, like UCF the year that they went undefeated, they would have been included in that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And even like two years ago when coastal Carolina finished at like 12 or 13 in the country, they would have Love a bid that. to try to get into it. Right. And, and yeah, are you going to get the shit kicked out of you in your first game? Probably, but you know what? As fans, and, and there's one thing I love about college football fans, the Athletic did a, a poll on this a couple of years ago, but it, they called it like their hope poll or like their hope-o-meter, which was like, how much hope do you have like on a scale of like one to 10 that your team could one day win the national championship? And like 87% of college football fans said that they believe there there's a path for their team to win a national championship someday. <laughs> And I love, I love that. that. I, I objectively do. Even if I think those people are insane for thinking it, I love that they have the hope because that's ultimately what makes college football such a uniquely special sport. And this just furthers that investment. It makes that path and that, that path road, even if it's complete garbage and there's less than a percent chance of it ever happening, there's still a path. There's still a world where Alabama loses to Cincinnati last year and Cincinnati is playing for a national championship. And I think that's really good for college football. I think we need that. Um, 
Any other thoughts here on the college football playoff, college football week one, anything? No. All right. Well, it's back. Want to know? So happy. We're one to know, baby. Want to know? Want to know? And moving on. I would love a JMU Penn State uh, out of conference matchup one of these years. Maybe that'll happen sometime. Oh, that tailgate would be lit, Jeff. <laughs> oh, you. I, I especially if it was at Happy Valley. Maybe that's what's going to get me to Happy Valley finally. Me yeah. Going up, going up for a game, and everyone there hating me because I'm going to be decked out in JMU gear. It's going to be wonderful. It'll be all right. You won't be wearing Michigan stuff, so you're fine. That's true. That's true. Um, All right. Well, college football week one's in the books. And coming up this weekend, gents, the NFL returns. Thursday night, Buffalo and Los Angeles. I can't wait. I cannot. I'm actually going to miss, like, the first half of the game, so I'm, I'm DVRing it. So I can go back and watch and try to catch up at some point. But I cannot wait. College football was such a wonderful thing to have back. But the NFL being back is awesome. So uh, Friday's pod, we're doing a full week one slate breakdown, picking every game. We're going to get back into our our football mode officially, where the, the rhythm of the show kind of continues to be what it, what it was last year. And I can't wait. I cannot fucking wait. Sunday, cannot get here fast enough. So uh, for the boys... I'm Jeff. Everyone have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you guys on Friday. Uh, We will more than likely record the pod before the game. Uh, We will definitely record the pod before the game. So uh, it'll be the first opportunity for you guys to laugh at us for our, uh, our picks. Like, you know, we do every Thursday night and Monday night when we record. So have a great week. We will talk to you guys on Friday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.